Okay, it's for life. Okay. Yeah. Basket, surround, contain, mud. Do good to your servant according to your word, O Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. Though the arrogant may smear me with lies, keep your precept, I keep your precepts with all my heart. Their hearts are calloused and unfeeling, but I delight in your law. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. All right, today is what, the 29th? 20... All day. Oh, yeah, that's right, because Thor's birthday was yesterday, so that would make it the 29th today. All right, December 29th, as Judson faced the chains again, his heart quaked. British forces advanced upon Burma, where Adoniram Judson, an American Baptist missionary, had already endured unspeakable horrors in prison for 17 months. <clears throat> Falsely accused of espionage, he'd been out of prison less than two precious months. Now the Burmese government wished to negotiate with the British and ordered Judson to be their emissary. <clears throat> because of Judson's extreme physical weakness, his dear friend Jonathan Price volunteered to go in his stead, but the Burmese insisted that Judson be held in prison as surety for his return. On December 29, 1825, the officials arrived bearing the familiar, eerily clinking, blood-stained chains. <coughs> At the chilling sight of them, the previous 17 months of prison flooded back into Judson's battered mind once again. He remembered the stench of dead, decaying rats, human excrement, disease, blood, sweat, vomit. He remembered the acrid taste of his cracking dry mouth and the rotten food he'd forced down. He remembered the sight of other prisoners, sickened, tortured, dying, and the horrified expression of his wife as she beheld his miseries. He could feel the torment of his mangled feet worn raw from the long barefoot marches in the blistering sun, mercilessly shackled to a bamboo pole hoisted above him, painfully stretched upward, cutting off circulation and bitten by mosquitoes for endless hours. But above all, at Donorum Judson recalled the evil sounds, the creak of the bamboo instruments of torture, the frenzied screams of the victims, the sneering laugh of the guards, the scrape of their knives being sharpened, and worst of all, the haunting voice of the gong, suspended outside the prison, daily announcing the three o'clock execution hour for yet more prisoners. Will it be me today, tomorrow, the next day? He'd done absolutely nothing to warrant those months of horror. The tyrannical king of Burma, hating foreigners and denying his people religious freedom, accused all white-skinned persons of collusion with the British. Nearly all were imprisoned and many perished. Judson's prayer had been like his savior's. He was willing to accept death, should the Lord will it, but also begged that the bitter cup be passed from him. As Judson faced the chains again, his heart quaked. Could he survive it? Could his dear wife Anne bear it? During his last imprisonment, Anne had borne their daughter, Maria, now just 11 months old and frail. Would the little girl remember him? Would she even survive? Throughout the last two years, Anne had endured a painful, lonely pregnancy, lobbied the queen for her husband's release, hidden their precious Burmese Bible translations and English Burmese Dictionary Project, suffered with smallpox and spotted fever, and attended to her ailing newborn. Yet... 
she had proven strong, but those sufferings and others had wakened her considerably. Just a few weeks before, when they had first heard Judson might be returned to the place of his worst tortures, it was almost too much for poor Anne. As they led him away, Judson prayed one more hopeful prayer for deliverance. That prayer was answered miraculously soon. After just one night in a bearable local prison, the British insisted upon his freedom, and he was released. He and Anne returned to Rangoon, where they had spent their first ten years of ministry in Burma. At Donnerham, Judson's missionary endeavors would continue with enormous success for another 24 years. Unbelievable. Mm. While we are experiencing trials, it may seem as if they will last forever. But do they end? Even fatal illnesses end, albeit in death. When you suffer trials, be comforted with the realization that one day they will end. And what Peter 5 says, after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power is his forever and ever. Amen. Wow. Unbelievable. That guy went through. That's the first. I had never read that. I've heard about him many times, but I'd never heard that part of his uh, situation before. Oh, I got a couple things to read, I think. Um, uh, poor Izzy. Uh, she's a girl that goes to the uh, academy, the sports academy. What's it called up on Bradenton? Uh, IMG. IMG, thank you. She tore a bicep muscle, cannot uh, play tennis for a year, they say. Uh, wow. But then I emailed, and her parents said she is better. But still, once you've torn it, you've got to, you've really got to go slow. So uh, we want to keep her in prayer. And then Mark Krause has prostate cancer. And uh, so I asked him to just keep me posted. Actually, uh, Izzy's father has prostate cancer. We brought him up a couple weeks ago. And uh, so I asked these guys, you know, as you go through this, let me know how things are. Because sometimes you hear from somebody and you pray and then they're better or you don't hear anymore. So uh, we'll hope that they will do that. Now I have something from, uh, you all remember probably seven, no, it's been a year now. It's been a whole year. Um, uh, the guy in the Philippines, a missionary there, Dennis, died. And we've helped his wife with a couple things. And she emailed a day ago. Good girl. Wow. If anybody wants to help her, let me know and I'll give you her email address and you can contact her and, and start helping. I was praying the other night and God impressed upon me to do some gift giving to inmates in our local city jail. I tried to let go of the idea, but it came on so strong. I guess God really wants me to do this because I felt the knock three, three times already. I asked a pastor with whom Dennis had previously partnered in his prison ministry about needs and other details about doing or pursuing ministry in prison. For now, I want to reach out to the women since I can relate to their pain and hardship. I want to do it even once a month. Moving in faith, I'm raising funds for the women and elderly there, which she's already doing there in the Philippines to try to get people to help her. I felt that giving them their basic needs while filling their souls with God's word, which they badly need, is the way to go. Through the power of the gospel, even the most broken people and situations can be made whole again. So I'm knocking to anyone, and I asked her, is this just you doing this in the Philippines, or would you like help from America? And she said, I'll take anything, anything that people are willing to help with. Uh, anyone who wants to share some love gift this Christmas, it would be good for the inmates and good for me to start this ministry again. And uh, so there you go. If you want to help Remy, send me an email. I will send you her information. You can talk to her directly about that. If you cannot send money to her personally, I can send it along, but I'd rather you do it. You can go to Western Union and uh, 
if you have PayPal, she has that, and I don't know the other ways she can receive. But um, uh, either way, I'll help her. If you want to send it to me, uh, just go directly would be best. But either way, I will send you her email, and you can uh, let me know. And then if she does this, it sounds like she wants to go long term. You might just commit to sending her twenty bucks a month, or I don't whatever she needs. I don't know. I uh, I didn't ask any specifics. I got this today, and all I did was go back and say, is this for the Philippines? And you're just telling me personally. And she said, yes, but I, I will take any help I can get because the, obviously the more she has, the more people she can help. So, uh, And I can tell you that we do this every week in the projects. It's not prison, but you need to be consistent. You go in one time, and sometimes it takes five, eight times just to establish a rapport with somebody. Uh, one person was more than a year, literally. I mean, so... Uh, and now she's saved. Her children are saved. She's got the first job of her life a couple years ago. And actually, it's been longer than that. We're getting old, aren't we? Yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, so it takes commitment. And uh, I think if uh, people are willing to help her, she can really do some great things in the Philippines. So there you go. Uh, that's my plug for Emmy. And uh, nice, nice lady. She's just as, she's the one that's been taking care of that girl whose father raped her. And she's been sending her to the courts paying for all this and she's just been such a great person to you know losing her husband she could get depressed and you know say that's it but she's she's sticking it out she always emails and talks about the sermon from sunday which she watches and she attends a church there and so wow great stuff um all right we are in the hey, book Charlie, yes I have oh sure I sent, i've sent you stuff on this family just for you to read but um they're missionaries but they work in Vegas to earn money the whole family their kids are all adults like four or five kids and they go to oh yeah Brazil Peru yeah minister to prisons I mean they're unbelievably dedicated anyway the, the gal that keeps me posted her name's Ruth she was hiking in Colorado the other day Christmas Eve and she fell 200 feet I saw that and she lived she lived how did you where'd you see that it was right in the, the news I read everything. I go everywhere. Well, she needs a lot of prayer, but uh, this she is the survived. CG report. Pardon? Uh, this is the CG report. I have to read everything. To What's provide. the CG report? See, this is what I get. Okay, we'll talk about that later. She needs a uh, medical treatment. Are you kidding? Yeah, she she almost died. She broke her neck in two places. Ooh. Oh boy! They did they did surgery on it and fixed her neck. I, I get updates every day. If you want, I can send it to yeah, you. Yeah, send them but, on. But, I knew that she'd uh, been hurt, but I didn't read the whole article because, you know. Just tremendous family. And okay, and what's her name? Her name's Ruth. Ruth, all right. So we'll pray for, we'll pray pray for, for her and her whole family because right. they're all in shock. That she oh, she should have died. Oh, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Heavenly Father, uh, you heard the prayer request for Ruth and uh, the need that she has as far as uh, that great fall, and we're thankful she survived, and there's obviously still a purpose for her. and. Uh, Obviously, you are going to be glorified through it. So we thank you in advance for that wonderful uh, uh, blessing. But despite that, there's a lot of bills to be paid, and there's a lot of uh, recuperation and uh, uh, medical procedures. So we lift up Ruth, and we lift up um, uh, Mark uh, Kraus, who's got the uh, prostate cancer. And uh, we certainly li lift up Remy and her desire to uh, do a prison ministry in place of her husband, who's gone. And uh, we pray for Izzy and her torn bicep and for her father, who also has prostate cancer. And Lord, you know all the other things that uh, are unsaid or that have been said in the previous weeks that are still unresolved. And we would pray that you would be attentive to all of them. And to look out for your people, Lord, 
and just as you did for Adoniram Judson, look after your people and uh, uh, bring them to a state of clarity as to why these things have happened and uh, uh, the chance for them to glorify you through it. And Lord, we pray for this class. We pray for the book of Colossians and uh, our study in it that it would be proper. And we just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to do this. And Burke isn't here. We don't know why, but we lift up Burke in case he's got something wrong. And his son. And his son as well, mm -hmm. who's obviously going through trials. Mm -hmm. Lord, uh, we thank you, we love you, and we praise you. And we do so in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm -hmm. <coughs> okay, so we got the um, uh, book of Colossians. And uh, yeah, that poor lady. I saw that in the news. I'm like, you know, I didn't read the whole article. There's no point. You know, it's not the kind of. I can't believe he doesn't know about the CT report. <laughs> we'll talk afterward, but we're going to be talking. I got my eyes with you. Okay. Um, but at least you heard that one. Yes, yes. Um, 312 is where we're at. We are. Um, did we go through 10? We did. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. We did. Okay, 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Okay, completely different in this one. If I can keep my chair up, which is just going down more and more lately. Um, let's see here. Therefore, as the elect of God, means the same thing, but holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. Okay, so you see there's a little bit of differences in the words, but they, the intent is basically the same. Okay, before we go on, <coughs> that reminds me, uh, during the Bible challenge on Sunday. And you won. Um, the what? And you won. Did you watch it? I did. Oh, okay. I'm glad you saw that. Um, uh, during, during the uh, Bible challenge on Sunday, um, we had, uh, you know, two, two requests for fill in the blanks, and one of them was close and one of them wasn't. And um, uh, the whole point is that Bible translations do not need to be stuffy. We have God's elect here and chosen of God. Um, and so they mean the same thing. It's just a different way of saying exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but, uh, you know, during the Bible challenge, we had to determine, is knowledge like wisdom? And I'll bet you if we went to the translations of that verse, we would find one says knowledge and one says wisdom. Uh, so, you know, we had to make a decision there. Uh, the other one was just, it wasn't close. So we had to let that but one But there is go. a big difference between those two words. Oh, absolutely. But, you're gonna have all the well, I understand. The I, I do understand that. Um, but I, I would assume that if we went to translations, there would be, and I wasn't bound to stop the entire thing just to go and look at 27 or 46 different translations. Unless it was a tiebreaker. And, yeah. And so, uh, uh, yeah, if it was a tiebreaker, but it wasn't. It was at the beginning. No. And so we had to make a quick call, and they're close enough where uh, it, it worked out. But um, what a fun time. I have to tell you, if you have not, because some of the people that listen to the Bible studies may not watch the, uh, the sermons and stuff we do on Sunday. I don't know. If you haven't watched Sunday's service, you have to go to the Superior Word channel and click on the live button because it's re recorded under live. But Sergio and Rhoda put together a, uh, a Superior Word uh, challenge. Hey, Rhoda, was, you did a good job as the MC. She did a great job. And uh, Jody also helped with that, but she was gone, so we, we let her out of it. But um, uh, it is well worth Hold on, guys. It was well worth the time. And it was, uh, uh, I mean, your time to watch it. And so I would suggest you do. And it was 
I assure you, the funnest time that we have had in this church yes. in the past 11 years since we moved into this building, or 10 years, uh, by far. It was a very, very fun morning, and uh, so I encourage you to watch that, and uh, uh, maybe we'll do another one in the future. It was it was that fun. Sermon anyway, was good uh, too. What's that? The sermon was Oh, thank good. you. Thank you. Um, okay, so we're going to go ahead and get into uh, 312, the uh, comments. Uh, Paul has just given a list of categories where, what was the sermon? Oh, I, I, you kind of threw me off with that. Mary. I'm trying to think. What did I? No, it, yeah, yeah. It was about Mary. It was about uh, uh, yeah. But it, the sermon was not about Mary. No. The sermon was about the Jesus. But the, of her being a right. Mm-hmm. Her necessity the necessity of her virginity is basically uh, the point. But the sermon was about Jesus, and I did yeah. that on purpose because uh, I thought if I put Mary as the title of this sermon, people may misunderstand it. Mm-hmm. But others may wonder and so yeah. I thought I'm gonna go ahead and do this I don't like to, to highlight things like that yeah. uh, that could make people confused but I'm hoping that enough Catholics will say oh Mary and click on it to maybe maybe uh, want truth. to yeah mm-hmm. so that's why I did that but it is a sermon about Jesus that's what the Bible is about okay back to this Paul has just given a list of categories <coughs> where one in any category is no longer lifted above another in any other category. All are on an equal basis before God because of Christ. For this reason, Paul says, therefore, as all are on this same level in Christ, there should be a resulting understanding of this, which is followed through with an equal respect for all. Okay, this is me commenting on Paul's words. Uh, in confirmation of this, he says, as the elect of God, or as it says, chosen, okay? In other words, any who have received Christ, whether Greek, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, those categories we looked at last week, <clears throat> any such category, each person is one of the elect of God. The idea of being elect signifies privilege. All have the same rights and benefits, and each is holy and beloved. Charles, and that's Paul's words, holy and beloved. Charles Ellicott states, the elect are holy, consecrated to God in thought and life, and beloved, accepted and sustained in their consecration by his love. As every person in Christ bears these traits, we are not to look down on any other who is in Christ. Okay, uh, that's one of the things that is very easy to do. It's also very easy to look down on people that uh, we see on the road and say, I am not going to evangelize that person because I don't like their skin color or I don't like their, you know, the country they came from, come from or whatever. Okay, that's easy for us to mentally do, uh, you know, just... We all have our biases, we all have our peculiarities in life, and we need to, one, give the gospel to everybody without regarding faces. And the same thing is, once somebody comes to Christ, we are not to look down on any... That's not to say, you could be in a church and there could be a Christian that comes into church that is really annoying. And, you know, I've been in churches where we've had really annoying people. Um, A couple have come in like that over the years, but for the most part, um, it's not the case. But if you have somebody like that, There is a difference between holding everybody on the same level in Christ and treating everybody the same because of their conduct in Christ. So uh, you you can't say, well, I'm a Christian, so you have to treat me, blah, blah. If you're annoying, you're annoying. Somebody needs to tell you that, okay? That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about positional status in Christ, 
okay? Um, that's it. Uh, speaking of uh, everybody on the same level, okay, um, I was at 7-Eleven this morning. I was cleaning. I was uh, picking up the cigarette butts and I was putting some in the garbage and I have my rag and I'm wiping it off and I bend over and I pick up the, the mat and I shake it out the way I do every day, put it back once I grab the other mat. And so I'm cleaning up and this person obviously had been there for a few minutes because um, uh, it, somebody was in there buying something and he was coming out just as I got this call. So they're trying to figure out, is this Charlie? And so I hear this voice, Charlie! Charlie, I turn around. It's Roz. Oh, really? Roz. Roz. We see every Saturday. We didn't see this picture. Where, uh, where was this? Uh, it's 7-Eleven. No kidding. Yeah, and so now I said to uh, who did I say this to? I was talking to uh, somebody. I said now. Oh, my brother came by the house to visit today. Now Roz knows exactly who I am because. All she sees us is in the projects. Right, right, right. And so, you know, now she knows exactly who I am. She says, what are you doing here? I'm barefoot. I'm looking as I normally do on the morning. I've got the old ripped clothes on, and I'm picking up stuff, and my hair's all over the place. And uh, so there she is. And she's got a guy that she's giving a ride to work to. And that's why she was there. So I got a little bit of sugar, and it was wonderful to see her. And, um, but anyway... Uh, now she knows who I am outside of where we see her. And that's kind of the same thing. She's never been judgmental of us, and I don't know what her perception of us was, but now we're on the same level because she knows exactly what I do six days a week. What are you doing here? I said, I take care of that mall, and this 7-Eleven, I've been doing it for almost 30 years. And 7-Eleven a lot less because I got hired later when Peggy took over. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so it's just one of those things. You need to treat people, it doesn't matter who they are, because you don't know who they are, right? Uh, so that was just kind of funny that that happened today and it fits perfectly with this. Okay, um, rather we are too, as Paul says, put on tender mercies. Vincent's Word Studies calls this a heart of compassion. We are to be compassionate towards our fellow believers, not ignoring their needs because of some supposed difference which would otherwise lessen them in our eyes. Likewise, we are to put on Kindness. These are Paul's words. This is the spirit-produced goodness which meets the needs and avoids human harshness. That's Helps Word Studies. The spirit-produced spirit goodness which meets the need and avoids human harshness. Kindness. Okay, the next one is humility. The believer is to be humble in spirit, not raising himself above others, but instead... <coughs> Excuse me, but instead giving preference to others, submitting to them and their needs and desires. So we've got tender mercies, kindness, humility, and uh, that one there is just my comments. I was looking for quotes like sounded like helps word studies from something, but it wasn't. So the believer is to be humble in spirit, not raising himself above others, but instead giving preference to others, submitting to them and their needs and desires. So I did the stupidest thing in the world before we go on. I uh, went into the bathroom to uh, get my beard, make sure it was okay before we started. And while I was in there, I looked and my mustache is getting over my lip, which I hate. And so I cut my mustache, which is the only thing I ever cut for a whole 30 days every month. And I went and did it and I breathed in a uh, one of the little pieces of hair. So now I'm, I'll be coughing through the whole thing tonight, but whatever. Okay, after that he notes meekness. 
It is the gentle and mild attitude where a person receives another with open heart and easygoing disposition, meekness. Okay, so uh, those are the uh, uh, things that Paul uh, has implored to us. And finally, he finishes with long-suffering. This is a trait which displays the willingness to put up with another despite their faults, like the annoying person in the church, okay? Unless they just continue to do it and continue to do it and they won't listen, you try to put up with people. I mean, that's just what you do, okay? Some, everybody is different. Some people just want to express themselves in different ways. Um, but for the most part, um, long-suffering is a, a trait that I personally don't have. I, you know, I, I don't know about this thing is really getting terrible. Um, uh, it's, long suffering. Yeah, I, I'm not a long suffering person, and that's one of my my uh, my faults. There's no doubt about it, and I hate to be that way. But there are times where I just I'm not a patient person. Um, I know it seems like that because you see me on uh, Thursday, and you say, "Oh, Charlie's always keeping his cool." That's not the case. And as soon as the camera goes off, I usually blow up. Okay, it's not true. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I just know that I can verbally. Yeah, I can try to be meek. I can attempt to be humble. I, you know, I suppose that I try to be kind to people and tender mercies, whatever. But long suffering is not my. It's not my great thing. Uh, it's a trait which displays the willingness to put up with another despite their faults. It is patience without exasperation, and it is even allowing one to overlook the wrongs committed towards oneself by another. Okay, so you've got uh, all those right there. Sergio, is there a way that we, we can have that down the way it used to be? Can you manually move the, uh, the camera? Because it just keeps going up and down, and if I'm up here, I, you can do that. Yeah. Oh, if you want to sit down? Yeah, just. Yeah. That way, I don't have to down. down. I was wondering why you're so high. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So if you'll take care of that, I would appreciate it, and then maybe we can set it as the default position later. Because okay. this chair has just had it. It's, I'll do it right now while you're talking. Oh, okay. Good. Thank you. I, I just suddenly dawned on me. Maybe I don't have to do this. Um, okay. So life application. Boy, I, I feel completely off today. I don't. Uh, <laughs> life. It's because of this chair. I know it is. Anyway, life application, bearing the traits Paul notes in this verse takes time and effort. There's no doubt about it, and you have to be long-suffering to do it. And so, But it is right that we work on them, because those who are in Christ are also the elect. We are not raised above them, and they are not raised above us. Rather, we are equal as we stand in relation to one another. And so let us do our best to act in the manner we have been exhorted to act in these words. Okay, that's what we should do. This is, uh, once again, these are exhortations. These are not commands. These are things that we're going to fail at in one way or another, uh, but this is what uh, Paul would uh, uh, have for us. Okay, 313. Okay, I got a chuckle out of when you were going through the exhortations and you said, whatever. So, okay, here we go. 13, bear with each other and forgive Whatever grievances <laughs> you may have against one another, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Yes, absolutely. Oh, okay, this is a great verse. I hope I talk about what's in my mind right oh, now. I got plenty in uh, my mind. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Before I say one word about this commentary, and I may repeat this in the commentary. I haven't read this in probably 10 years or 8 years or something but how did Christ f 
forgive us? Anybody? Big quiz here. This is the superior challenge. How did Christ forgive us? I asked that he forgive me. Did Christ forgive you before you asked? Yeah, he did not. No. He did not. Potentially he did. Actually, yeah, actually he, he did, did not. <laughs> Everybody got that? Everybody think that through? This is one of the most abused well, concepts well, in Christianity. You must forgive everybody. The Bible never, ever teaches that. I'm sorry. There's one verse in the book of Mark that seems to say that, and when you compare the exact same verse with Matthew, taking them in the total context of what Jesus says, it does not say that you must forgive everybody. Yeah. All that does is it heaps burdens on people, it causes conflicts in their minds and in their souls, and it makes you look more holy than them. And, and they um, walk around with these these things, eating them up all their days because mm -hmm. somebody has told them that you have to forgive everybody unconditionally. That is not scriptural. It gives a lot of people the ability to do nasty things and get away with it. Absolutely because it does. you have to forgive me. Absolutely it does. Okay, so uh, if you disagree with that state, and maybe I'll comment on it more, mm -hmm. if uh, you still disagree with it, email me and I'll send you a very short thing I typed up on forgiveness from the Bible. I've actually typed it up, I sent it to people and I had people come back and say, well, I don't care what the Bible says, I know that I have to forgive everybody. That is, I'm not kidding, people go, they get it in their head, they think that's it and I'm just gonna do this and I don't understand that type of thinking, but there are people out there that have got things so ingrained in their head that they will not see what scripture tells them. Fine, that's okay, but all I know is that I'm going to teach what this book says, and I'm going to do my very utmost to not go beyond what Scripture says. Okay, verse 3.13. This verse, which is a continuation of the thought from the previous verse, begins with bearing with one another. The word indicates a purposeful endeavoring in our attitude. We should have an earnest desire to exert ourselves in love in order to secure a thing not lightly obtained. That's Albert Barnes. I'll read that again. It says, we should have an earnest desire to exert ourselves in love in order to secure a thing not lightly obtained. People can wear us out with their own pet peeves, their insecurities, their jealousies, and the like. In our walk, we should be willing to bear such things in love rather than breaking down and shooting forth darts of anger. Okay, uh, once again, you're dealing with a person that is very high strung, and I will take so much, and I get to a point where I won't take any more. And uh, one thing I won't do is take a constant stream of verbal abuse. Okay, after about five or six emails of that, I just get tired of it, and I'm done with you. You'll never hear from me again. Okay, um, I, it, that is my fault and not long suffering, but I also don't like to take verbal abuse from anybody, okay? And I would not give it to anybody. So um, uh, you just have to be careful uh, how you treat people. You have to be this long suffering thing. We have to put up with all of the things that they are because they are human beings and they belong to the Lord. But once again, there's a point where you will be cut off. I don't know if my standard is right or if somebody else's is right. All I know is what I can take, and that's it. Okay. You do the same thing about forgive everybody. You're, oh, yeah. the, the only way you can bear with somebody like that is to not be around. Well, that's right. There's so a point you are bearing with them. It's like you know what? It's only going to get worse from here. So we're going to just put some space. That's you. right. You that's know, that. and I, there are times where you just have to say, "I'm sorry. I don't think this is working out, and we're probably not compatible to speak." Because you can just get pushed in a direction by emails that are they insinuate or they whatever and you you don't need to live that way because 
I know that when you go to bed and you are tossing and turning over something, the other person is sleeping soundly. And if that is the way the relationship is, it's not healthy for you, and there's something that is not working right. So, uh, that, whatever. There's, I don't know what the, the point is. If you ask me, I cannot give it, because we're all different, we all have our own limitations, but there you go. Okay, so um, next Paul says, if anyone has a complaint, oh wait a minute, he then says, forgiving one another. Forgiveness is something we are exhorted to do, because without forgiveness, there's no harmony. And without harmony, a wall of division is built up, which normally will affect more than just the two who are in disagreement. Small divisions which are left to fester can divide entire churches. I've seen that. I've seen churches actually divide over little things, okay? And one of the things I bring up from time to time is that most churches usually divide over should we kneel to pray or stand up to pray. It's usually something so stupid, something that's not in the Bible, and yet people will get it in their head, and they are going to go through with it, and they're going to tear the church apart over their view. So uh, it's not a healthy way of living. Small divisions which are left to fester can divide entire churches. Therefore, now, the Methodist church right now is getting divided greatly. Hundreds and hundreds of churches in every state are leaving the Methodist church. And that is not a small issue that they are dividing over. Actually, if it was me, I would have left the Methodist church eons ago when they started condoning abortions and saying that it's a woman's right. Okay. I would have left that church and I would have not come, gone back. And I know a few people that have done that, okay? When that became an issue, they got up. And I remember having a Bible class at Grace Baptist Church, and there were eight attendees every Sunday because they had like 20 classes, and you could go to whichever one you wanted. And so uh, I say 20, but it might have been five. I don't know. It's just, they had a whole building full of choices. Yeah, choices. And uh, so we had like eight people, and the next week I walk in, and there's like 37 people, and I'm mm -hmm. like, what just happened? Yeah. The bus, it stopped. Yeah. No, we, we left because there's a, a, a thing going on in the church, and we're not going to take it. And those people stayed, but now they've come to the second issue, the second major issue. Are gay people allowed to be ordained? Are we to accept this into the church? And there are hundreds. Those are not small issues. Mm -hmm. That church should be divided. It should have been divided, in my opinion, a long time ago. When I went to the Methodist church, not long after really coming to know the Lord, my neighbor went there, and so I started going there. And after, you know, a month or two months or something, I, I don't know how long it was, four months, however long it was, I uh, went on to the main Methodist website because I wanted to know what they believed and what they were doing. And they were having a grand poopa discussion about ordaining homosexuals. And this was back in 2000 or somewhere around there, 49% of the people in the upper level, the upper echelons, were saying, yes, we should. And I said, I'm not giving another minute to this church. If 49% of the people feel this way, they should have been kicked out the day that they came, they opened their mouth. But it was obvious, even back then, where that church was going, okay? And I, I didn't even know anything. I mean, I'm just like, you know, I'm the newbie. Yeah. But we were also divided this Sunday. Oh, yeah, this Sunday we were divided. <laughs> we had the Sermonators and we back had the, uh, the Sermonators and the Ten that Commandos. There was real church division last week. <laughs> that was good, though. I loved later 
watching the expression on the people's faces. You know, like uh, Ron Barra, he's sitting there very straight, and then Burke is, he's doing, you know, you could tell how nervous he was because yeah, he wanted to win. Ron was real <laughs> Yeah, what's that? Ron was real straight. Oh yeah, he was, he's always a straight shooter though. Ron is a great guy. They, uh, anyway, looking at all the different faces and the excitement and the sternness and the, the curiosity and the anguish, it was it was beautiful. It was, but I didn't see all that because I'm kind of focusing on what, what's going on. And so when I watched with, we watched together. They were at their house, I was at my house, and we were uh, messaging back and forth, watching all the different things, and it was a fun evening. My that parents watch it, and they go, oh, the people of the church took it really seriously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because we take the Bible really seriously. I could see some churches not doing that, but... And there's uh, a prize. What's that? And there's prizes. Yeah, and there were prizes. Well, That's right. You've had three years of laying the groundwork what? seriously like you treat this book us, properly yes As getting us into you bet even the minutiae there's a reason why it's there yeah right. everything right. is there for okay now i got a question do you know what we're talking about did you right see down. that you did okay i tom wasn't here so i didn't know if he knew what we were doing or not so i wanted i didn't want him to be excluded from okay we're going to go ahead and go on um uh where was i um harmony uh, forgiving one another small debate okay therefore when someone offends another and when the offender requests forgiveness requests forgiveness mm -hmm. for their offense the offender is to grant that forgiveness this will be built upon with the rest of the words of this verse Okay, this is something that uh, you need to get straight. You have to get that straight in your head because either you are going to cause damage to somebody else or you are being damaged in your relationship with people because of what I'm bringing up right now. I'll read it one more time. When someone offends another and when the offender requests forgiveness for the offense, the offended is to grant that forgiveness. This will then be built upon with the rest of the words of this verse. Next, Paul says, If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. God forgave us in Christ completely and wholly, having canceled our debt through his sacrifices. This is what God did. He offered us a grant of forgiveness. Okay? He didn't give it to us unconditionally like Calvinism would teach he offered it to us and then we have a choice to make the forgiveness is complete it is eternal and it was based upon a simple request for forgiveness of having offended God this then is the standard our forgiveness is to resemble that which God has provided to us I'm sitting here thinking in my head while I'm reading this I'll bet you the same people that say you must forgive everybody unconditionally also say, yes, you can lose your salvation. I'll bet you. Oh, Complete sure. contradiction in thinking there, 100%, but I'll bet you that they are the same group of people. You must forgive everybody. Yes, you can lose your salvation. When God forgives, it is done. Okay, I'll read that again so you get it. There are no strings attached. The forgiveness is complete. It is eternal. And it was based upon a simple request for forgiveness of having offended God. This then is the standard. Our forgiveness is to resemble that which God has provided to us. It is to be complete and completely forgiven. When we are asked to provide it, we are to give it. Having said that, this needs to be explained further. Oh good, I am going to talk about it. Far too often this verse, among several others, 
are taken to unintended extremes because people do not think through what is being said. Eventually, someone will offend someone else and then those around him will say, you must forgive that person. This is true, but only if the offender requests it. Forgiveness is not unconditional in Christ. It, and it would therefore be a greater standard than God expects of himself to say that we must forgive everyone all the time. Does everybody understand that? God says, I will forgive you in Christ if you accept the premise. If you have faith and believe that Christ died for your sins, okay? Then forgiveness is offered. God forgives every person on this planet, potentially. He forgives only those who come to him, actually, okay? If you say to somebody, you must forgive everybody, you have to do it, or you're not a good Christian, then you are imposing a standard higher than what God has imposed upon himself, okay? You are taking the place of God. You cannot do that. I feel so bad for people that believe this, and like that lady that emailed back and says, I don't care what you say, I demand that everybody must forgive unconditionally. I'm like, well, good. You obviously know more than he does. Well, I think, I think people co confuse forgiveness with emotions that you get That's right. when you're angry at somebody. That's right. You don't have to be angry at somebody because they've done something to you, mm -hmm. but you can't forgive them unless they ask for it. Absolutely. Right? But, but they take that and they, they, and they, they conflate the two. Yeah. So they say you must forgive, let it, go. let it go, but it's nothing to do with forgiveness. It's only an emotion to help yourself That's to right. overcome this. It's not to do with right. that even. That's right. Because right. some people say, oh, okay. forgive, and then you'll feel better. But... What has it to do with you? It has nothing. To, that's right. No. This this is something that is so misunderstood. People have not taken the time to clearly think this through. And because they have not done that, they are causing damage to themselves and to the people around them. And you see this all the time. You know, I'm not on social media anymore, but it used to be all over the place constantly. And it is, it, it's so damaging. Anyway, um, to say that forgiveness is... It, to say that forgiveness in Christ is unconditional would lead to the theology of, anybody know what that is? God forgave everybody. What is that theology known Universal. as? Universalism. Universalism. That's exactly right. Everyone goes to heaven and nobody goes to hell. That is universalism. It is absurd. The Bible never teaches it. And not only that, it is a heresy. Universalism is a very, very damaged doctrine. God's condition for forgiveness is faith in the cross of Christ, mm -hmm. receiving that for the lost soul. Lord God, I am sorry for my sins. I ask that I be forgiven through the shed blood of Christ. Whether those words are specifically stated or not, they are implied in the cross, in what the cross of Christ signifies. All people and all sins are potentially forgiven in Jesus Christ. When we ask for that forgiveness, it is actually granted. Unlike Calvinism, which says that God says, you are going to forgive, be forgiven. I am going to regenerate you. You are going to believe, and then you will ask to be forgiven. That is not how the Bible presents this. Calvinism has got it all convoluted. If okay. you're elect. It's what? If you're elect. Yeah, if you're elect. That's right. If you're not the elect, then you go to hell, which is not at all the same as universalism, but it's also just as uh, bad in thinking in many ways. I love okay. asking them, it's like, okay, so how do you know that you're the Yeah, elect? how do you know you're Tell elect? Tell me how you know 
you are the elect. And you know what that is, and I've said this in mm -hmm. the Sermon on Doctrine, you may or may not remember, what is the problem with that? How do you know you're elect? The problem is, you are now speaking for God. For God. God. Right. I am elect. They can't even pick out a verse, much less... That's that right. Itself. They, they so, can't you know. pick out a verse, and so they are saying, I am elect, and they're speaking for God. Yeah. And then, if you take that further, we'll stop right there, and we'll go through this. Uh, don't say anything, because I don't want to lose my train of thought. Uh, you are speaking for God when you say that you are elect. But, there are people that believed wrongly about God. I believe wrongly. Jesus is not God. I'm forgiven in God because of what Jesus did, but he's not God. Okay? I am the elect of God. Okay? This Calvinist says he's elect. He's speaking for God. But this guy over here, who's, we'll call him a Job's witness because that would be the theology of Jesus isn't God. He's wrong. He's not saved because he hasn't believed in the, the gospel, which is uh, Jesus is God. Okay? Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. It's a part of the gospel. It is implied in it because he came out of the grave. Only God is sinless. Okay. So, um, uh, now he believes correctly. He finally comes and realizes that Jesus is God. He says, I can't believe that God did this for me. So when was he saved? The first time. No, the second time. Right. He wasn't saved because he believed a false gospel. Galatians 1, 6 through 8. Okay, so he was speaking for God here. Now he realizes that he is saved. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Mm -hmm. The spirit of Antichrist implies that there are people that are not saved. You come over here and you believe... The spirit of Antichrist is not believing that Jesus came in the flesh. In other words, that he's not God. John says that at least several times in several different ways, but it always is the same thing. It hinges on Christ's deity. So the spirit of Antichrist proves this. Calvinism would have no answer for that. I've never had a debate with a Calvinist on this, but they haven't even thought that through. No. They believed incorrectly. I was a Job's witness once. Well, then when were you saved? And if you're saved now in a Calvinistic manner, how do you know now that you're saved? You're still speaking for God. It doesn't matter what you do in this issue. God forgives you actually only when you come to Christ and you have to believe the true gospel. Okay, It's an important thing. People get it wrong, and all of this is tied up in what we're talking about right now. Forgiving others, forgiving in Christ, etc. So, um, I'll read that last sentence again. This is true, but only if the offender requests it. Forgiveness is not unconditional in Christ, universalism, and it would therefore be a greater standard than God expects of himself to say that we must forgive everyone all the time. <clears throat> to say that forgiveness in Christ is unconditional, what oh, I've already read that, would lead to the theology of universalism. Okay, God's condition for forgiveness is faith in the cross of Christ and receiving that for the lost soul. All people and all sins are potentially forgiven in Christ. When we ask for that forgiveness, it is actually granted. Okay, some other examples of verses which are misused concerning forgiveness are, one, Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. You don't need to email me because I've got the points right here. So there's no need to email me. <laughs> Luke 23, 34. People will say Jesus forgave them, so you must forgive them too. First, Jesus didn't forgive them, did he? He asked the Father to. Secondly, the sin was unintentional. They know not what they do. Everybody got that. Third, after Jesus' ascension, Peter explained what occurred and said to these same people, 
the Jewish people, you must repent or be destroyed and cut off. Everybody got that? He even called them a wicked generation. Their destruction occurred 40 years later when Israel was destroyed and the Jews were dispersed. Just as Jesus predicted, forgiveness did not come for the nation who rejected Christ. You cannot use Luke 23, 34 as a text verse that you must forgive everybody. Think through the results of what happened. Two, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Matthew 6, 15. This is taken entirely out of context as a standalone verse. The surrounding verses are asking about forgiveness first. When we do, he does. And we are to do likewise when someone repents toward us. Okay, that's what we're asked to do. They've asked for forgiveness. You need to forgive them. Okay, three. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. That's Luke 17, 34. In this verse, forgiveness is clearly based on repentance. Clearly. Verse 4, or point 4. In a comparable passage in Matthew 18, 35, people tend to only quote the forgiveness part. It says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. However, the entire parable is based on one getting on one's knees and asking for forgiveness. forgiveness. Okay, there you go. Can't use that one as a text either. Five, if you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. John 20, 23. Pretty clear here, though speaking to the apostles, Jesus' apostolic followers could retain the sins of others and they were not forgiven. That's right. You guys, superior Bible challenge here, and you're, you're doing great. Okay, so once again, the context there is that he was speaking to the apostles. I want to make sure that you understand that. You take John, especially during the time of the high priestly prayer, chapter uh, 13 through about chapter 17. Uh, right in that area, uh, all of the words that he's saying, are most of them are speaking only to the apostles, and yet people will co-opt them and say, see, this applies to us, and they take all these things out of context. Don't do that. But the apostles had the right to not forgive. Why would that be imposed on us that we have to forgive everybody when even the apostles don't have to forgive everybody? Okay, so, six, when we say the Lord's Prayer, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We are acknowledging God as our forgiver, and we are asking for that forgiveness. If, therefore, or I'm sorry, it therefore would logically be the same with those who trespass against us. Okay, so there you go. Life application. Context matters for proper doctrine, and doctrine matters for proper theology. Keep things in context. Very, very important that you keep things in context. Yes, you got something. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I understand that you don't have to forgive right. everybody, but if it's eating you up... That's what he was talking about. Yes. If it's eating you up that somebody has offended you, you have to let it go. Right. That doesn't mean you've forgiven them. 
You well, can't. That doesn't mean that you verbally forgive them. Well, that's right. Mentally, you, you in to, your mind, you have to do that, that. Is what you are dealing with on yourself, yeah. not with them. And what he's saying is kind of what Sergio was saying a minute ago. A lot of people take these two and they conflate the two, and you can't do that. Okay. Think this through. You cannot actually forgive somebody that hasn't come to you and asked for forgiveness. That is like the the epitome of arrogance. Think about it. And it's more than that. I thought about it. It's actually impossible. Here's That's why. right. If God could forgive us without us asking forgiveness, right. that means that against my own will, I don't want to be forgiven. That's right. right. He'll let me through to heaven where I don't want to be. That's exactly yes. right. So there is no free yes. will. So there's I can't no forgive somebody unless they want it. That's and right. If they want it, it's not like gifting somebody something they don't want. So I don't want it. And that is the ultimate result of that. Impossible. That is exactly right. And the but forget part. That's that's what I think you're mostly talking forget, about. Forget. Yeah. It's just like you know what. It's never going to resolve itself. I'm not going to think about it anymore. It's over. Boom. And you just got to let it go. It. And you got to say in your heart, I'm letting this go out of my life. I'm not even going to deal with this person. I forgive them in myself, but I haven't forgiven them because it's not possible. You you cannot force forgiveness on a person. They may even come to you and say, what? I haven't done anything wrong. I didn't offend you. And so there is a wall there that cannot be breached. It cannot be. And so we need to... Think these things through clearly and without all of the, the stuff that's been thrown on us all our life that you have to you have to do this. You have to people get something in their head and they're gonna go down the, with the ship believing it. That is not the way to handle the Bible. The way you handle the Bible is to open it up and to apply it in context. Everything that I've said here, go back and listen again, it's all from the context of what is said in those verses. Okay? There's never a time where you are to unconditionally forgive everybody that has wronged you. It is not reasonable, it is not scriptural, and it is impossible. Okay, 314. Oh, wait, let me open up 314. Right. And if you want to read your mother's text back and forth to me. I'm right night. now pulling in the bay tree kind of uh, this. Uh, she ain't going to make it before dark because it's dark. It Mommy <laughs> did not make it to class tonight. Okay, yeah. all there right, go. go ahead. Why didn't she text me? <laughs> you on my phone, mm. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay, completely different, and yet it basically says the same thing. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Go ahead and read yours again. Okay. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Okay, it says the same thing completely differently, okay? That one says overall, this one says above all, okay? If you are overall, you are above all, okay? That's, if you think that one through, it's not gonna be really that big of a difference, and then the binding together, and it's, it says the same thing, it's just said differently. Uh, you know, one of the things about um, Bible translate, just translating in general, is if I was to say to uh, 40 people that speak German, okay, they speak fluent English and fluent German, and I said, listen, I would like you to translate this paragraph here. And I write out a paragraph and they translate it. You are going to get 40 different translations. Not one of them will be the same, okay? Uh, it is unreasonable to think that you have to go with a single version of the Bible just because somebody tells you that because he's making a lot of money off of printing the Bible because it's not copyright, okay? Uh, think things through, folks. Okay. Unless it's an inspired and authorized translation. Well, that's true. <laughs> if it's the only inspired yes. and authorized translation, yes, then yes. you have to use that version yes. or you too are going to hell. 
Okay, uh, 3.14, in the previous two verses, Paul has given a list of things which the believer is exhorted to do in order to be sound. Once again, you can't command these things because some people just, they're not geared that way. You can't command somebody to be long-suffering. You can exhort them, okay? And my job is to take the, what it says there and to give an explanation of it so that you can be edified in your understanding about humility or about long-suffering, okay? But you can't command this kind of thing to anybody. You can exhort them, build them up in this, and that's what Paul is doing for us, okay? Uh, the believer is exhorted to do these things in order to be sound, well-rounded Christians who accurately, uh, let me make a note right here, okay, uh, who accurately reflect the characteristics and traits of Christ. Now he places those things, okay, you know, one thing about long-suffering is that there's a point where long-suffering ends. And I just said, reflect the characteristics and traits of Christ. What did Christ do when he went into the temple and they were selling in the temple? He overturned He blew them. up. Yeah. He blew up at him. He overturned whips. the temples. He got whips and he drove them out. His long-suffering for the people of Israel came to an end. Mm -hmm. It happened in the first exile. It happened at other times in their history, okay, in minor ways and major ways, all right? It happened in the temple, and it happened in A.D. 70 when he sent them away, okay? There is a point where even the Lord is no longer long-suffering in an issue, okay? And that is one of his principal, I mean, one of his principal tenets back in the book of Exodus when Moses goes up on the mountain and the Lord says, the Lord, the Lord, long-suffering and gracious, and he goes through this long thing. It's one of his attributes. It is not that the Lord will take everything from everybody all the time. There's a point where he will no longer take it. <clears throat> so do not try to put yourself above the Lord in any way and say, I have to do these things or I'm not a good Christian. You are a human being and you have limitations. The idea is to be more like the Lord, to be long-suffering, be this and that. But don't beat yourself up if you fail, okay? And uh, if you want an example of someone who fails, and every one of them at one time or another, every day of the week, right here, that would be me. So you can just say, well, he fails at it, I feel better, okay? Or maybe you just say, I'm not surprised. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the words here give me, I, I know somebody, I do mission work with him. And this guy is the most patient person I have yes. ever met. I won't say who he is, but he's the most patient person I have personally ever met. And know. yet, three times, three times, actually two, I think, I've seen him actually get really upset. And both times it was with younger people, okay? <laughs> actually, one time it was a younger person doing something, and the parent wasn't restraining the younger person. And... Uh, I would not want to be around this person when he blows his lid because if he is as long-suffering as he is and that comes to an end, I wouldn't want to be around it. So all I can say is when you see this person losing his patience, back up. Okay? Run. <laughs> That's what I would say. Anyway, I'm not going to give any hints as to who that is, but this is the most patient person I've ever met in my life. Okay. Uh, yeah, on the planet. Um, uh, okay, here we go. Now he places those things under one larger umbrella by stating, but above all. The words here give the idea of a garment which covers everything else and encloses it. It's above all, completely enclosing it. All of the things that he has said we are to put on love. 
Love is the external covering garment of all other things we are to wear or put on, as he said in verse 12. Love should be like this shield around us, okay? The reason for covering all of the other exhortations with love is because it is, as he says, the bond of perfection. Love is what ties together all of the other virtues he has mentioned. The word translated as perfection here, or how does your say it one more time, perfect uh, bind, say it again? Bond. Uh, it, which bind, binds them together in perfect unity. Binds them together in perfect unity. This one says perfection. Okay, the word translated as perfection carries the idea of a collective which results from a combination of other things. So that would be a very good translation. Binds them together in perfect unity. Very well said. Okay, and which one is that, the NIV? NIV. You know, you're not supposed to be reading that. When kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, and the other virtues which Paul exhorts us to possess are tied together with love, then a perfection of the whole is a result. And that's why he spends all of that time in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 defining the attributes and characteristics, and he says, but above all, or however he says it. We'll go there right now, because it's such a pretty chapter. We're speaking about love right now, and it's like the epitome of wonderful descri description of love. Okay, so 1 Corinthians 13. You know, I've done a lot of weddings, and I will often give hints to people. Would you like to add this in? Would you like to do this? And even people that aren't Christians, I'll marry anybody. I don't, I'm not, I don't mean anybody. I mean a male and a female. Right, okay. But um, uh, if they're not Christians, I'm not going to say, well, I can't marry you. And I, they, it's better that they get married than to live in sin. You know, mm -hmm. So if somebody wants to get married and they ask me, and it's obviously in accordance with right morality and the law, I will do it. Okay, And even people that aren't Christians, I will send this, and almost always it gets included in the weddings because it fits so well with the intent of the heart of the people. Mm -hmm. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, mm -hmm. but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known, and now abide faith, hope, love. These three, 
but the greatest of these is love. <coughs> Wonderful words. Put on love. Let it cover everything, as Paul would say here. Like a, how did I say it? Um, uh, a, a garment which covers everything else and encloses it. Okay. Uh, when kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, and the other virtues which Paul exhorts us to possess are tied together with love, then a perfection of the whole is the result. Life application. <clears throat> if someone is kind to another person, but is kind in an unloving way, the kindness of the deed is lost. The same is true with any such otherwise notable trait. When love is lacking, there is a deficiency in it. Let us remember to be loving in all we do, letting it surround us as a garment of perfection. Okay, and that's, you know, it's hard sometimes. It's, it's hard to uh, say, I'm going to go out to the projects. I'm tired, I'm whatever. And if you go out there and you're doing your job and it's a sincere thing that you're doing and you're not doing it with a loving attitude, you better just not be there on Saturday morning. But the best thing to do is to get your love on, as Paul says, and then go out and do it. Because um, we have a kind of a saying in the uh, projects is that... Uh, the projects isn't something we do on Saturday. It is our Saturday. And if you don't have that attitude, then it's something that you will end up not doing. And a lot of people come and they never come again, or they come for a while and then they stop coming. But it's something that you have to say, this is what we do. This is our Saturday. Just like going to church on Sunday is my Sunday. That's it. There's nothing else that I do on Sunday but go to church. And if you don't have that attitude about church, then you're not going to go to church. And if I did that, then there wouldn't be anybody preaching on Sunday. So obviously I have to. But um, that reminds me of that joke, the guy that's, he's, do you know the one I'm thinking of? The guy's like, the wife says, come on, get on your clothes and go to church. And he says, he says, I, I'm not going. I don't like the people there and they don't like me. And, they're, you know, they're just going on and on. He's saying, that, you know, it's just they're, just going on and on. Finally, she says, now, listen, you're the pastor. You get up and you put on your clothes and you go to church. So, anyway, it's, it's a funny, I, I kind of blew that because it's such a good joke. But anyway. Cheryl, uh, you know, and there's something that I, I was reading the requirements for elders at church yeah. and deacons and elders. And I, I have about 12 years, I missed the first one. Another requirement, but it starts with if someone desires, has desired to be an elder in church, like right. chapter if you desire. Well, that's what you were saying about you have to have that love or desire to do this. You Otherwise, have to have why, it. Yeah. And, and people will walk up to the people in churches and say, would you like to be a deacon? That is not the way to handle that. It has to be somebody that has it in their heart to do it because you're putting them in a position they may not want to be in, but now they feel obligated. Okay. You're right. They have to desire this position, and it has to be something that is meaningful to them before it's of any value to the church. I guess it goes together with a God love the cheerful gear or everything oh, yeah. is out of... Uh, everything comes from inside oh, outward. That's right. Yeah. Say that again. God loves a cheerful yeah. giver. Okay? If you're not a cheerful giver, then don't yeah. give. Right? right? I, this thing about tithing, don't... <laughs> I, I better not. I, once we go down that path, I'll be on it for the rest of the night. I just... It, it, it's maddening to me how people handle giving in the church. That is it. That's pretty much the only admonition in the Bible for giving is be a chill, cheerful giver. It does say to share in all good things with those who teach you, but that doesn't mean you have to share a certain percent or that, you know, 
Think that true. one through. That's right. But as I always say, uh, if you're making cookies and they're a good thing, then you should probably share them with the one who is teaching you. Okay. So that's an important point to remember. To but, both your points. Yes. It all boils down always to motive. What's that's your, right. Why are you doing this? Why, why am I here this? tonight? Why am I reading this book? Why Absolutely. Like, you know, so if you, you know, if your motives are are, are imperfect, foul, then that's right. Then it's going to be you're going to be in a state of. It, it, you're not pleasing to God if you're doing something with the wrong attitude. And that goes right back to the Tenth Commandment. The one commandment that nobody knows but you and God. Coveting. Okay? Nobody knows if I'm coveting something right now. I could be coveting something over there or something, you know. Nobody knows that. But God does. And so to put coveting as one of the Ten Commandments is an amazing thing about how God works. He's letting you know, I know everything. I know your motive behind everything. And therefore, you need to, especially in this new dispensation, you need to have everything done with the right attitude. If you are not cheerfully giving and you go to that church and they beat it over your head, get up and walk out. Don't let that steal your joy. And I'll go further. I know I said that I don't want to get into it, but I'll go further and I'll say if you can't give, why would you do so? Churches say, well, you know, if you put God first and you give 10% right off the bat, God will prosper you. And I've heard people actually say, yeah, that's happened. I've been prospered. Well, that doesn't mean that it was God who did it because you did it with the wrong attitude, okay? You just happened to get into the right position and start making money, and now you're exalting yourself by saying, I gave 10% even when I didn't. You're, you're doing what the Bible tells you not to do elsewhere, okay? So the, what you want to do, if you cannot give because you owe money to somebody, and I'm not talking about, a, 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 you know, a car payment or a house payment, those are things that you have to pay. <clears throat> and to say, well, I owe somebody else and you're never going to get to a church. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you cannot give. You have to pay for your child's food this week and you, otherwise you can't do it. I don't know why anybody would say you have to give to church on Sunday. Okay, that's just Charlie. I may be on the one that's completely wrong in this, but I don't think so. If Paul says it, do it if you're a cheerful giver, great. Okay, and you can give in other ways that are not monetary. You can give by helping people. You can give by bringing something in that you can't afford to do. Okay, God is looking at your heart. He's not looking at your wallet. Okay, talent, talent treasure. Yeah, whatever you can do, that's great. And I, you know, the Lord will reward you for your heart towards Him. That's what's important. Anyway, I better get off on it because I, I start talking about tithing, and it just everything else goes bad in my mind um, uh, because I've been in churches where. It, that's all you hear. Every single Sunday, you always hear. Uh, what's his name? Sean Hannity. I think I've told you this. Sean Hannity says, you know, I, I had had enough of the Catholic Church. I had enough, and I'm not going there anymore. He says, I'd love to go to a good church, but I go to these Protestant churches, and all I hear about is money. And I thought, he says, all they do is beat it over your head constantly. I thought, what a way to present yourself to the world. Money, money, money. The church I was at, man, they'd pass a plate at the beginning. They'd pass it at the end. They'd in the middle say, okay, you need to give more at the end of the day. It was just miserable. It well, just... at the church during I played, there was, I don't know if you know this, but during the service, there was a way that you have to play something emotional as right. they pass on during, the play. During the play so, pass. And, and he told me, says, this is how he's trained by Andy Stanley, who trains 
how to uh-huh. maximize, maximize the profit from the giver. Yeah, well, they don't call it profit, they call it uh, the giving, the giving, offering the offering, and uh, praise to God, how to maximize it yeah. by making When I say music. this, Regulating. have the sound go up, and when I say this, have the sound go down, it's perverse. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. perverse. Yeah. Okay, the guitar was not involved with that. They <laughs> 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 just keep it down. Just the piano. 315. <laughs> 315. Okay. No, yes, 315. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, mm-hmm. since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Okay. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Yours says peace twice, uh, right? It does, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I don't know if they were just defining it by repeating it, because it, it is implied there. If you listen again, you read yours first. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, mm. yeah. and be thankful. Okay, mm-hmm. this one says called in one body, and I, I, I don't have any footnotes, so my guess is that they are explaining the first clause again, but I don't know that. Anyway, um, uh, kind of close. All right, um, 315. Paul had just implored his reader to put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Now, in addition to that, he says, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. In Philippians 4, 7, he told the congregation that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. In order to have the peace of God, it is necessary to have a knowledge of what God has done and of what he promises for us because of what he has done. When we possess that knowledge, we can then let it rule in our hearts. I will tell you this. I type these commentaries every single morning. Okay, uh, it's just my first thing after reading the Bible and you know taking two dogs out and the coffee is ready and I start uh, typing my commentary and I can't tell you the thought that goes through my mind almost daily. Sometimes you're reading a commentary or you're so tired from the night before or whatever that uh, you're a little distracted. But almost always, let me read again what I just said and then I'll tell you. It says here, um, in order to have the peace of God, it is necessary to have a knowledge of what Christ has done Mm. and of what he promises for us because of what he has done. Mm. When we possess that knowledge, we can then let it rule in our hearts. I will type my commentaries and I will stop many times, even two or five times, and I'll say, Lord, I can't believe what you did in Jesus. Mm. I can't believe it. Mm. I, I, I get emotional thinking about it while I'm typing these commentaries. And I was telling Sergio and Rhoda, Uh, yesterday I typed um, the most wonderful verse in the Bible okay now there's it's the same as other verses that are just as wonderful I'm not elevating one above another but the words of the verse are the most wonderful words in the world Paul is in the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia he's telling the Jews in the synagogue about their Messiah he's talking about it he says the rulers in Jerusalem the people in Jerusalem rejected him they crucified him and then he comes out with about six or seven words. But God raised him from the dead. Okay, that's it. That's the whole verse. And I could have typed on that. First, I look at the commentaries. I want to make sure my thoughts are right. So I always look at all the commentaries. And some people didn't even give a commentary. There was just nothing. No words at all on that verse. And then Albert Barnes, all he said was see Acts 2.37 or something, whatever, where, you know, Acts 2.35 or whatever it was. It was the verse where Peter says basically the same thing. I was so excited, I could have typed 
30 pages on that and not even started. I, it, it just, I, I'm just thinking about what God did. And mm. Christ came out of the grave. And it might be a four-page commentary, but I couldn't stop. And finally I said, I need to because I'm going to be so long that we're just going to read this. But think of what God has done. Think of it. That he was willing. We're the ones that have turned our backs on him. Not just the first time. We've done it every single day in human history. Look at America now. You know, we the Mayflower Compact. We're making a covenant with God. And we're going to be this great nation. And look at where we are now. The things that we're doing right in his face. I mean, just right in his face. And to think that God knew in advance that we as a human species would do the things that we do was willing to do what he did. I can't get beyond it. I can't get beyond it. So when you are thinking about your own miseries, your own problems, your own, oh, you know, my life has had this bad thing or this terrible thing is coming up or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. It, it is, and I'm not trying to downplay your misery, but it is insignificant in comparison to what Jesus did for mm. you. Okay, mm -hmm. if you can have that attitude, if you can just hold fast to it, a lot of things in your life will go a lot better, way better. And okay. it goes right along with the forgiveness verse. Absolutely. You don't need to feel bad because just because of this. If you think of Christ, then you can let it go, whatever anyone has whatever hurt you. Whatever it is, just let it go. Think of Christ. Absolutely. I, I mean, there are people out there that are simply living miserable lives. And I'm not talking about non-Christian. I'm talking about even Christians. You get yourself stuck in a rut. You get into something and you can't get out of it. And once again, I don't want to downplay it because I have my own miseries and I have my own times where I'm just, you know, in my own pity party and it may go on for a day or two days. But when I sit down and I think about what Jesus did and what he was willing to do, nothing else matters. Literally, nothing else matters. And what my, whatever is eating me up is insignificant. It is meaningless compared to the glory that he has promised and the magnitude of the thing that he did in order to make that promise. I, I just I, We've got to go because we only got 10 minutes, but I could talk about what God did in Christ all night long and not mm -hmm. shut up. I, it, it, I just He's so wonderful. So I'm going to read that one more time. Think about it. We'll finish up this verse. In order to have the peace of God, you're miserable right now for whatever reason. You're sick. You're angry. You're whatever it is. In order to have the peace of God, it is necessary to have a knowledge of what Christ has done and of what he promises for us because of what he has done. When we possess that knowledge, we can then let it rule. Mm -hmm. Not just be a part, but rule in our hearts. It can take over everything. It can utterly consume all of the bad and it will rule. Just think of the joy. Ah, I just It's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Throw up your hands. Jesus, I cannot believe that you did this. Mm -hmm. For me, through the word Paul uses for rule is used just this once in Scripture. It means to be an umpire or to arbitrate. We are to let the peace of God be the umpire of our actions. But again, we can only do this if we have a knowledge of what God has done, is doing, and will do for us. You read the pages of Revelation and you see the very end where everything is wonderful again. No more tears, no more sadness, no more this, no more that. Everything is going to be made new. Boy, this is a terrible... Think of that guy, Adoniram Judson. 
over there, he's being hung like this. He can't breathe properly. And the worst part, when he got to the mosquitoes, mm. he can't itch mm. his mosquitoes that are biting him. I know what it's like in Southeast Asia. I know what it's like in Alaska, too. You talk about mosquitoes are like this big. But, <laughs> you know, if you can't itch a mosquito bite, there is nothing more maddening on the planet than that. I, it's just terrible. So think of it. Think of that guy. And he was willing afterward to what did it say 27 more years yeah. he could have gone through that all over again mm -hmm. and yet he stayed mm -hmm. put Christ first it will take care of a lot of other baggage in your life okay um, uh, through reading and understanding scripture we can see the ultimate end which is promised to us in this if we can keep our eyes on what we know lies ahead because of Christ we should be able to obtain and live in this peace. The saints at Paul's time only had the Old Testament scriptures. Today, we have the whole counsel of God in reading the words of the Bible and in holding fast to what is recorded there about what lies ahead for the redeemed. We truly can possess the peace of God, even in times of greatest trials and struggles imaginable. I mean, this is, think of David. I mean, the guy writes these psalms when uh, David uh, wrote this psalm in a cave when he's being chased by Saul or something. I mean, he's in the middle of the wilderness and he says, well, I'm going to stop and write a psalm. Mm. He understood the magnitude of how great God is and he didn't even have the New Testament. Okay, with this knowledge, we got six minutes. With this knowledge and the peace that comes along with it, we can comfort one another, we can assure reassure those who are downtrodden and we can remind them of the glory which lies ahead it is to this peace of God ruling in our hearts that Paul says we were called in one body okay one body we are called to possess a knowledge of the word and then to share it with others Paul's noting of the one body is reminding us of the words of verse 11 where he cast aside all external distinctions and said that we are all of Christ equally. There should be no division in this one body because of these supposed differences. They should all be set aside, except when you're having the superior word Bible challenge, then you're taking on another person, but for a good cause, okay? So church division in that case is okay. But really, we should have no differences. We should have one mind. And, but you're not going to have one mind if you're differing on theology. If you're differing on theology, you can both be wrong, or one of you can be right, but you both cannot be right. Okay, there is no two rights with God. Now, there can be two applications for one thing in the Bible, but if there is a difference in theology or doctrine concerning a matter, it needs to be resolved. Okay, but if things are proper doctrinally, then you should be on the same page and living in a harmonious manner with each other. Okay, so no division in this state of knowledge and harmony with other believers. We are to be thankful, knowing the good end which was promised for us, and knowing that we are not below any other believers, but that we possess the same promised blessings as they do. We are to rejoice and to give thanks to God. Paul will next expand on this as he shares the means of accomplishing these things. Okay. How wonderful it is to think on what God has promised us. Mm -hmm. it, 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 you're in this world right now, 
things don't go well, things are bad, things, you know, you lose your job, you get a new job, it gets good, you're happy. And I, I said this a week or two ago, I think it every single day, I cannot stand the world that we have made. And yet God has given us such a beautiful world. And if you can just look away from this and look at this, I mean, I, lately I've been having this beautiful red, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, spider. No, not spider. <laughs> the red hawk. Oh. He's been coming and he's been perching right outside my window on one of the frangy pangy branches. And he comes and I just think, God, why did you do this for me? This beautiful hawk, this magnificent bird, and he's just sitting there. And then I'm walking he's in the mall yet. Dogs. The what? He's looking at your dog. No, he, he can't see the dogs. He's there inside sleeping. He just sits out there and he, he, he just is there. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'll be at the mall yesterday morning and I look up and there's an eagle flying right overhead. Wow. It's so wonderful. God has given us so much beauty. And if we can just put all that baggage behind and say, what we have, this beautiful world that he's given us and all this great stuff, it doesn't compare. Mm -hmm to what he has set aside for us. It's not even close. If you can keep that attitude and just that mind, how wonderful things will be in your life. Life application, we are done. Christ has overcome the world. Mm. He has also promised that we who are in him will also overcome the world. Mm. Truly then, why should we be overly despondent about what happens in this life? Mm. It is natural to mourn when sadness comes, but there are times of sadness or other negative emotions. We should not let them get the best of us. Instead, we should be uplifted in Christ at all times because of the surety that we possess. If you can't do that, you have to redirect back to Jesus. You have to redirect because there is no happiness in this world. I'm going to tell you what. You have a beautiful wife and she dies. You have children and they curse you and they leave and you never see him again. You've got this and you've got, it. there's always something that's negative coming up. Jesus will never let you down. He will never be negative. There will never be a time where your life is not sufficient for him, for you to call out to him and he give you comfort. Okay? It's not going to happen. He is perfect in all his ways and his dealing with you is going to be perfect. Okay? That's how it is. He loves us enough to have done what he did in the past. I assure you he'll take care of you today. All right, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he has done. Thank you for what you did in him. It's unimaginable. It's beyond our comprehension, and we need to just keep thinking about it and focusing on it because there is nothing that's going to give us hope or happiness in this world apart from that. It'll be temporary, it'll be lost, and then we'll be back in the same place. Help us to rise above that in Christ and to fellowship with you intimately all our days. May it be so to your glory, O oh God. Thank you. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. I know why we have the chair up. It's because sometimes I have to Screen. write down the board. So I'm going to buy another chair and then we need to reset it again. At some you can point. still write on the board. Can they see it? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Because the oh, corner. The corner. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to limit it to the corner. Okay. Um, what am I doing? Break. Okay. Here we go.